You are now listening to the Claim It podcast with me, your host, Trisha Huffman, your joyologist. On this podcast, I have conversations with people who intrigue and inspire me. We talk about the journeys of their life, lessons learned, fears, doubts, things that they still face, and how they've gotten out of their own way. On today's episode, I have Molly Engelhart. She is many things. And she's definitely the person I know to prove that quote of find the busiest person in the room and have them do it or exa- however that's that's told. <laughs> she is a master of many things. She's the executive chef and founder of Sage Plant-Based Bistro, which is a growing group of plant-based organic comfort food restaurants in the Los Angeles area. She operates a 20-acre farm focused on regenerative culture that also doubles as an animal rescue. She's the executive producer of the award-winning documentary, May I Be Frank, and has produced other movies. She's also an accomplished spoken word poet. Her story is very interesting. She's an amazing human, and I can't wait for you guys to get to know her. Here we go. I'm going to start with something we were just sort of talking about, but I know somewhat, but not fully. You grew up with parents that I feel like did things differently than what a lot of parents do, or they were just very, what would you, yeah, how would you call your parents? Not in like a bad way, just like, yeah. My parents parents were 19 and 21 when they had me. And so in many ways, I feel they were super conscious in uh, in their child rearing based on how young they were, but they were always searching for self-improvement. They were always doing seminars. They were always sending us to seminars. There was always weekly meetings, family meetings where they would start where you'd say, I'm Molly and I'm going to share myself with love and I'm requesting that you listen with love. And then you could talk for five minutes and nobody could interrupt you. And this was different than other kids' families that they grew up with, or when I was 13, I was rebelling. And I was like, I'm going to do LSD tonight. And my father was like, where? And I was like, I don't know. And he's like, I think you should do it at home. And let's have some food so you're a little grounded. And, you know, this is the kind, there was no rebellion against Can you tell like the hot tub story? I feel like the hot tub story is a very clear, like, okay, they thought about things differently. (laughs) (laughs) My parents were very eco-friendly. Everything was environmentally sustainable and um, there was no chemicals in our house. And so they had a hot tub that they put in in this beautiful garden outside of our house. And I was a teenager just getting comfortable with my body. And I had some friends over and they were all guys. It was like four guys and me, one guy I was interested in. And then his friends all came over and They come home and there's like four black guys smoking a blunt in the jacuzzi and they walk over and they said, Molly, do you have a bathing suit on right now? And I was like, yes. And they were like, you know, that's not good for the copper filter in the hot tub. Everybody's supposed to take a shower and do it naked. And I said, mom, I don't feel comfortable being naked. Well, then you shouldn't be in the jacuzzi with these boys. And so that gives you a sense that I was not in trouble for the four guys in the hot tub at 11 o'clock at night or the marijuana. 
I was in trouble for wearing my bathing suit in the eco-friendly hot tub that it might mess up the pH balance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like that gives some sort of understanding. But also with, yeah, you're sharing about the dinner table. That's, um, yeah. So what was that like for you growing up like that? You said that you definitely naturally like had rebellious tendencies and stuff. For a long time, I was trying to rebel against something like finding the edge of the envelope where, and at a certain point, and I guess that it worked, me and my brother both grew up to be, I'd say, good humans. There's People say we should just focus on raising good humans. I'd say that me and my brother turned out okay. But once I realized that the only way to really get attention was through positive things, they were never going to give attention to the negative. And if they did, it would be in a moment of their frustration and they may scream or whatever. But it was never going to be a sustained amount of attention for anything that I did for negativity. But I didn't figure this out till I was 22 or something. (laughs) I did a lot of trying to rebel. Um, I remember at one point I was selling drugs and my dad was like, okay, this isn't going to work. So we're getting you an apartment because we don't want you doing this in our house. Oh, you were (laughs) selling drugs while living at home. And so he said, this isn't going to work with you living at home selling drugs. So we'll get you an apartment to do it. I mean, I don't think it was just to sell drugs, but like you and mom are fighting a lot. You're selling marijuana and I don't want the two most important girls in my life fighting. So we're helping you get an apartment. You have a job. You let us know how much more money you'll need for the rent. And Wow. And how old were you then? 16 and a half. Oh, so that was you're still in high school. Still in high school. So you moved out on your own. Yeah. In high school. And I was working full time for them. They had a fashion design company and I worked almost, you know, like 30 weekends a year or 20 weekends a year doing trade shows. Um, they sold garments. Uh, it was a garment industry, like organic flax linen clothes it was called angel heart designs and flax flax is still around they don't own it anymore but it's still a company wow and that makes more sense when you said those elements i was like they had a fashion (laughs) (laughs) yes (laughs) fran it's it's actually like vintage fax flax designed by gene angel heart if you go on ebay it's super expensive wow <laughs> my cousin sometimes buy stuff and i'm like i have a lot in my closet you can come take it you don't have to buy it on ebay that's amazing so you moved out at 16 mm-hmm. did that make you be more responsible or rebel more it had me have more compassion uh for my parents things that only moving out can have you understand. I thought my parents were constantly just nagging me. Dishes in the sink, underwear on the floor of the bathroom. Your towel wasn't hung back up. But when you move out- And And you're the the only one. You're the only one to pick up the dishes, the towel, the underwear. You realize that it is annoying. (laughs) And I had a roommate because I was 16. I couldn't afford the apartment by myself even with their child support in quotation marks. So I realized it is annoying when someone makes a big dinner and leaves all the dishes all around, or it is annoying when people leave their clothes on the bathroom floor. So I had that realization pretty early. And I also had the realization that my parents are human beings. Yeah. 
And in that teenage fog of hormones and life is all about me, it's almost like you don't remember that your parents are human. Yeah. I or don't... that they have emotional experiences or that they're doing the best that they can based on the tools that they have. Yeah. I'm trying to think of when I realized my parents were humans. It might have been when I was in college because I had signed up for a philosophy of love class, which I thought was like, let's learn how to like, lo- like get love or like, you know, and it was more like psychology of. I, I had to write like the narcissistic aspects of my parents and analyze why they maybe raised me the way they did and things that they did. So that made me look at like, oh, right, they do this because that's how they were raised or they're doing this and they have full-time jobs. And like, that made me be like, oh, right. But I think still even, it might've been like me then like having kids, you know, it's there's a new level of like, oh, right, still growing up. You think like my parents did this and they messed up and have these wounds about that. But then also like, yeah, they like were working full like it's just you doing yeah. so much to yeah like provide. It- uh, my parents getting divorced was the next big. So moving out when I was sixteen, there was some awakening, but of course I was sixteen, yeah, so not a full awakening. But my mother left my father for a woman when I was twenty two, and seeing my father be so wounded. And seeing my mother be what occurred at the moment as selfish to me from wanting my family to be like, I felt my mother had just like given up like, oh, this feels good. And I'm going to go with this instead of trying. And now it's hard for me to even imagine my parents together anymore because they're so different. And so it was probably divine order and the way it was meant to go. But through that healing process watching both of them. I was always much closer to my mother and my father had a kind of disconnected, you know, he loved me. I never felt, I don't have daddy issues, but I didn't have the closest. I talked to my mom all the time through college and everything. But through that, I realized I saw my dad's vulnerable side and I got to like have a closer relationship, which I still have a now closer relationship with my father since the divorce. And we talk almost every day. Our lives are very similar. We own restaurants. We live on a farm. (laughs) We're doing regenerative agriculture. I mean, as far as two people's lives being similar, people joke like, oh, you and your dad talk every day. That seems like a lot. But we actually have similar lives. So if someone is, there's an issue in the restaurant, he probably has had that same issue. If there's an issue on the farm, he's probably had that same issue issue or if he's having an issue in the restaurant, I could have had that same issue. So we do talk a lot more than my mother who lives off grad in Hawaii. So we have less common ground today than we did before. I was like that too when my parents finally decided to separate. I was I think I was twenty two, I think too, when they finally like got divorced and then that created a whole different relationship with my father. I finally like had one again. (laughs) Like I was sort of like didn't have one for years and then it's like he became my best friend and I was, yeah, like felt in many ways like closer to him. So then, okay, so let's go. You're in high school. You do go to college. What'd you go to college for? And film. For I film. went to CalArts. I moved to California. You did. To go to film school. And where did that come from? You just always loved the movies and what was your I always wanted to be a lawyer is the truth but I'm severely learning disabled I only read and write at a third or fourth grade level which is weird because I was also a poet but um I read and write at a very 
rudimentary level. And so the doing law wasn't really feasible, like getting through college for law school. And I don't know, a lot of people move to California to make movies. It's like a thing. <laughs> and um, I did a bunch of photography and film stuff. In I went to an alternative uh, alternative high school and they had a film oh, okay. program. Okay, so you were doing it there. And so I thought that that would be fun. And I moved to Santa Clarita, which was super white at the time. My boyfriend was black. I was white. And it was shockingly white. We were shocked what Santa Clarita was like when we moved there um, 20 years ago from New York. It was very, very different. And I went to CalArts. And, uh, Where did you get into poetry then? Oh, so that was later. So while I was going to CalArts, my neighbor, Max Goose, was a A&R at some big record. I don't, I know that he went to Epic after wherever he was, but I can't remember where he was. But then he went to Sony Epic. And then he and I had a boyfriend that was trying to be a rapper. And so I was, I've always been very precocious and like entrepreneurial in my thought process. So I cozied up to the neighbor, was trying to get my boyfriend's demo heard. And he basically said, your boyfriend's not that talented or not talented in the way that commercially is viable and not what I do, but I really like your way of being. So he hired me first as an intern and then as an employee. And he started his own record label as well as being an A&R. And then... And you were working with him, him while I was going to college. And then I started my own recording studio and he would send business uh, my way. That seems like quite so a So by like, the time jump. I was 22 <laughs> years old, I had a fairly large three-room recording studio in North Hollywood. What made you, like, you're just like, oh, okay, cool, I'm helping him do this. I can just start my own. Like, that seems like a pretty... Yeah. I mean, I now knowing you, I'm like, yeah, but like, yeah, like, that's why I'm talking to you. Like, why, how do you do all the <laughs> Like, where do you get the gumption? <laughs> you know what it is? I'm not afraid to fail, which is major. Like I'm, I've failed some pretty public big failures. And I do think that the way my parents raised me validated my intelligence or my feelings that it was valid. It wasn't just like, oh, you're a kid and you're thinking that. And my parents were always entrepreneurial. I always worked for them and their businesses. And we always had a home-based business or a, it was like a, a barn that got transformed into the fashion factory. Right. So you were always seeing I your parents always were like, we're going to do this. We're going to do they this did and we're going to do it. So it didn't seem that out of the norm. And right. maybe because my parents were getting divorced and they felt guilty or I don't know, but uh, they let me sell my condo that they had, they bought a condo when I went to college. and. For um, you to live at. For to live at because rent was like the same as a mortgage. And they said after four years, it's likely going to go up. So it's a better deal tax-wise, blah, blah, blah. So they bought a condo. That's kind of funny because like when I think of them, it's like hippie. What would be the proper word? Because I feel like hippie. For sure hippie, you know, but like, younger than hippie. But at the same but, time, like how like smart are their choices? Like, oh, we're going to send you and we're going to buy the house because the more like. 
like things like don't properly like line up and like it's just they're they're like evolved they're i mean my parents are pretty smart yeah business wise but evolved and they have my dad teaches seminars on abundance and how to call abundance into being so yeah both from the spiritual side but also there has to be a practical side yeah I can sit on my bed all day and say abundance affirmations. Mm -hmm. But you actually have to do some (laughs) shit. God supports those who support themselves. So I can see and meditate the flow of abundance all day long. That's not how it works. But (laughs) you also have to take action in and create specific measurable results. And the universe will support that. But if you don't do it. That's why I have an issue with the word manifestation, which... Once I actually learned what manifest means, I'm like, oh, yeah, because it's like all of these actual steps. But what I kept feeling like is that most people are like, I manifested this or I'm going to manifest this. And it sounds so like I'm just going to say this and journal about it and it's happening. It's like, well, you, yeah. But then I actually like read the definition and like whatever. And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I totally believe in all that stuff that you're like actionable. And I'm like, I don't remember it now. But I was like, yeah, but I was like, I just feel most people aren't like, I'm going to manifest this. Yeah. Watch it sit into my lap while I sit here thinking about manifesting it. Yeah. I've never, I'm a a doer. The being (laughs) is where I have to practice. The doing, (laughs) I've got the doing down. The being, uh, not so much. So they let you sell? They let me sell the condo and there was $50,000 of equity from the four years that I was in college. And so they said that I could use that to start the recording studio. And then they co-signed a loan for me for the equipment. So then I guess though, for the fact that you start your own studio, you must be working with this guy and be loving it. Yeah, I'm loving the music industry. I think that I'm the next whatever. I'm going to be the big. And all of a sudden, Napster comes out and Pro Tools and people don't need recording studios because they can film, they can record in their house and they only need it for mastering and we didn't have a mastering studio. And I have an SSL board and the mortgage is like a house. It's like yeah, $400,000 board and we're paying payments on it. And other studios could lower their prices because maybe they own their equipment. They've been there longer. But I'm fresh out the box. On top of that, I had a boyfriend that embezzled a ton of money from me and too much for this, but ran a whole con like where I thought he was in prison and I was helping with all this stuff and he wasn't even in prison and it was all the biggest con you could imagine. And so between those two things, I lost the recording studio. And my father was just like, you have to sell your house. You're going to pay me back. My parents have never been like mushy around money. It's all very clear. And so I had a house that had a bunch of equity, and my dad said, sell your house, pay off the, I co-signed that loan, that I'm not going to take the loss. And then my building went into foreclosure that my recording studio was in. And even my dad bought my recording studio out of foreclosure and sold it and made a couple hundred thousand dollars. Wow. He said that he had the assets, uh, the ability to do that. And I was like, but, and I didn't. And I owed him whatever they had lent me. I had to pay back and we sold the house. So I sold my house. So that was my first big failure in the world. Yeah. I was 23 years old. So what did you do from there? And I 
well, a couple things happened simultaneously. We tried to survive it for a little while before my father just put a kibosh on it because his credit was at risk. So my brother was working at Follow Your Heart, like a little restaurant in the valley. And I was kind of depressed and I was mostly doing nothing and being sad for a couple, I don't know how long, but I rented out every single, we had this big house that we had purchased and we rented out every room. I even fixed up this tool room in the garage and rented it out. So we were able to cover our whole mortgage. And I did a lot of garage sales and sold stuff. Like I was just trying to make ends meet however I could. And my brother was waiting tables and we were eating. We went from vegan to vegetarian at this time because we had no money. And at Follow Your Heart, they throw away the dairy soup and the cornbread every night. So we were just eating the dairy soup and the cornbread from Follow Your Heart because he could bring it home free. And my brother one night said, come to this poetry lounge. They're having a pajama night. And I just like thought that was the dumbest thing I ever heard. And my brother pushed kind of hard. And so I didn't wear pajamas because I was too cool for school. But I went and I was super inspired by the poetry. And I started going every Tuesday night. I started performing. And inside of a year, I booked HBO Deaf Poetry. And so you went, got inspired, and then you started writing and perform. And also like this poetry, it was like, it wasn't just like poetry or was it different varieties? It was like spoken word. And then I did, I knew all these people in the music industry and I made um, a couple of albums and I like spoken word, spoken word with music behind it. And then I started touring and doing college tour, campus tours. Right. Mona told me that that's how she originally met you guys at the Na- NACA circuit or whatever. NACAS, uh, <laughs> showcases. Yes. And so in, during that time, I sold my house and paid off the loans from the recording studio. And my brother decides we're going to get into medical marijuana. This is before. This is after we sell the house. I tried. But this is medical marijuana. That's like before, really. People are like, yes, this is early thinking of medical marijuana. Medical marijuana, way before it was legal. It's legal. It's just when it turned legal in California for medical, for medical only, but federally illegal. So it's still really gray, and really, you still get arrested a lot. (laughs) Um, And so, I had rented this little house. And we set up the garage and I was only going to get a small percentage for them using the garage. And I I thought that would supplement my poetry income. And the woman who bought, so we set up my garage and then my brother decides he's going to move to San Francisco and help dad with Cafe Gratitude. And then the woman that bought our house, she decides to buy all of our furniture because we didn't need all the furniture and she was buying it. Turns out she's this big pot grower and then she hires me to be her personal assistant and then I learned <laughs> to grow pot really good. <laughs> and my brother leaves away and I have this pot grow room that we set up in my garage. So I'm personal assisting for this pot grower <laughs> and I'm growing pot and I'm touring around the country doing poetry and then we there this guy at that point then like are you at like oh what am i gonna do with my life you're like 
this is what I do. I'm a spoken word. Yeah, I'm like, like this is what I do. I'm going to be a spoken word artist and I'm, I'm going to get famous and I think I'm going to have like a, I'm going to be like the Taylor Swift of po- spoken <laughs> word. <laughs> like, I don't know. And I'm, I, and it starts going that way. I'm like opening for the roots, opening it was for really big Michael Franti. That, yeah, like, that's I major. feel like in, in a short period of time, I do feel like that's what's happening. And, and I'm, growing pot and then I'm personal assisting for this woman and it's weird because I'm in my own house my own furniture but I'm like the help (laughs) so this was really um I don't know the right word but it I got to be with my own ego and get to realize like what so what does that mean like this was my house that was your couch now it's her couch now you're wiping it down because she asked you to like now you're running to get her son food at some restaurant that you don't believe in or supporting because that's what your life is now and so and also so that's also because you're then leaving on tour where you're like opening and you're like yeah me and then you're going back to yeah like doing these things for someone else that you don't believe in yeah And being on tour um, was also super lonely because I think that when you're on tour with, say, a band or a group, there's other people. But when you're doing a spoken word, for one hour a day, you're like, the cats be out. Everybody wants to talk to you and buy your CD and so excited. And then you're sitting in a hotel room trying to find vegan food in Kansas and (laughs) all your friends are at work. And then you go home and... I'm a personal assistant. So it was a weird time, but I for sure thought that's what I was on HBO Deaf Poetry and this is what I'm doing uh, with my life. And then this movie maker comes to me and wants to make a movie about spoken word. He wants to po- feature four poets and he wants to follow us around for a year, blah, blah, blah. And I help. I get celebrities attached. I get Woody Harrelson to do a thing. And then the movie comes out and they totally villainize me. What? I'm putting, like, every scene I'm putting on makeup. I'm, and it would be that they would set it up that way. And I was too naive to know. But I'd be getting my, he'd be like, let's do an interview while you're getting your nails done today. And then he's talking about, like, race and oppression while I'm getting my na- feet scrubbed. And it, it just did, it all landed really terrible. God, and we're... You're white. Were the other people in the movie? Nobody wh- else on the movie was white. Okay. And nobody else was female. And okay. I was completely. And I didn't, they didn't let me see the entire film until the premiere at the Pan African Film Festival. And I invited all my family and all, everybody came out. And that was my second big failure in life. Like I totally helped this movie get off the ground. And he pitted like poet against poet and like people that I looked up to and respected were saying like, Oh, she's not believable on stage. I don't know why she's gotten so much success. And blah, 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 blah. Oh. And so that happened. And they had all this footage of other stuff that would have shown a different side of me, but that's not what they showed. And so, so what did that do for you or what did you have to do to like get through that? So two things I, kept writing and I've written, um, but I stopped going, I really did stop going out in the poetry scene in LA. It was too painful to, they had pitted all of us against each. I just didn't do it anymore in LA. I still toured, but I lost that like love for poetry that I had 
because, yeah, a lot some things that I believed or my naivety um, was put in my face, and I saw how people will just in any kind of industry, people will crabs in a bucket, like, uh, and it's, and I just decided that I want to create a life where I don't want to create a life where I'm competing and the big part of poetry is slam. I don't want that to be what my life is where I'm competing against people that I supposedly love or, and so, um, I went full time into growing marijuana and I was really good at that. And, (laughs) um, until my brother-in-law was arrested and in Wisconsin in an airplane. And so he ended up going to prison for five years. Was that have to do with? From Mar- he was flying marijuana from oh, okay. California. Got it. Unbeknownst to me, he uh, <laughs> bought an airplane <laughs> and then did that. So I realized that I didn't want to go to prison and I didn't think that I would necessarily go to prison for what was happening in LA, but I'd already been arrested a couple of times and it it was still pretty a sketchy situation, but I didn't really know what else to do. I was had been growing for several years and I had real estate and I I mean this was my life. Yeah, this is what like, I was doing. You had a legit business. It was a legit was business funding your life well, probably. Yeah, and I started to think, what could I do? What could I do? And my best friend got pregnant at this right around this same time that I, right after I think I got arrested the last time I got arrested. And the rest were for marijuana. marijuana. And she said, I can't just be an actress anymore, like living paycheck to paycheck. If I get a job, I have money. If I don't, I'm struggling. And I'm pregnant, I needed more stability, blah, 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 blah. She ended up going home to live with her mom, has the baby, comes back to live with me and my husband at that time. And we're trying to figure out, like, what can we do with our life? We're both in a turning point. So her getting pregnant was a turning point for you, too, to be like, what can I Well, Trevor getting arrested and her getting pregnant happened kind of back to back. Got it. She got pregnant first, but then she came and moved and lived with us, and Trevor got arrested. And we're trying to figure out, like, what can we do with our life? And we started talking about this vegan ice cream, vegan raw ice cream that we used to make back when in the days of living at the house with all the rooms rented and having no money. (laughs) One of the things that we would do for fun is try to make raw ice cream when my dad and Woody Harrelson were, like, deep in the raw food. How far, like, I'm guessing at this point... Cafe Gratitude, large, I mean, not Cafe Gratitude in San Francisco has has opened. A couple locations, maybe. Just that one, at that time, just one location. And so. So you're, yeah, your dad is getting into the restaurant business in vegan raw. In vegan raw. And I was playing around a lot with ice cream. And me and my brother even played with the idea, tried to get the ice cream made. We went, had an ice cream factory, run some test batches and stuff when we were living in that house, trying to figure out what was next for our life. But at that time, printing has become much more cheap. But at that time, you had to get, I think I had to get $50,000 of pints made. Oh, because that was like to sell it. In the stores. And we didn't have the money. And so we just, it fell to the wayside. But Mimi said, one, my best friend Mimi said, 
you know, we should really look at that ice cream. I used to sneak out in the middle of the night because she was Ryland's uh, girlfriend. She said, I used to sneak out in the middle of the night and eat the ice cream out of the freezer when you guys would make it because I didn't want to, you guys were just making the two quarts at a time and I didn't want to eat like half of what was made. But I would <laughs> so sneak out while you guys were sleeping and I was, I was like, really? <laughs> she was like, let's revisit that ice cream. So we started playing around. We get an ice cream shop storefront on Coanga. Which that's, so that's where I met you. Matthew and Tercy's were down here like leading a workshop in LA and I was volunteering to like support them somehow. And yeah, you were coming with your vegan ice cream samples. I don't know if you would open. I think you were like about to open. So yeah, yeah I don't remember <laughs> that specifically, but it sounds very plausible. Um, it took us like a year and a half to open. I didn't know anything about building permits and all this thing and handicap access. And I found so the idea was starting an ice cream shop, vegan yes, ice cream because shop I didn't have the LA. money for the pints. Yeah. and so we would. So we started a vegan ice Which cream. Which back shop. then there isn't anything. No, there's no in LA now. now there's, there's lots of options, but no, there was no, nothing. It, yeah, anywhere. So we open. It's a huge success on the outside. Like we're busy. People like it. It gets good reviews. But it's really hard to make money in just vegan ice cream when right. it's all raw, all organic. It's all got to be so expensive to make. The product is so expensive. And we're $4 a scoop is kind of the top of what you can charge. Yeah. And so we're left trying to figure it out. But it seems like it's a smash hit. It seems like so we take over a Robex juice in Pasadena and try to open a second shop. Because, you know me, go big or go home. <laughs> Not afraid of failure. Just it's it's barely working here. Let's double it. <laughs> um, Which it, most people would not do. I know. Hey, it's me, Trisha, bringing brief interruption. It's like holiday time already, guys. It's November. If you're like me, you always think that you want to get a head start on your holiday shopping but you likely then forget. <laughs> so I'm giving you an extra push to get shopping by giving you a 25% off code to my entire product line. Use code claimit 25 at shop.yourjoyologist.com. Get 25% off your whole purchase. I've got ornaments now, guys. Just go buy a bunch of ornaments. Have them on hand. Don't even know who you're going to give them to. The Own Your Awesome Affirmation Deck is a great gift. You can get four for $100. Give those out. Mugs, journals, notepads, magnets. I've got sayings to support all the people. Let that shit go. See the good. Gratitude is my attitude. I am magic. There is something for everyone. And who doesn't need a little dose of joy and inspiration in their everyday life? Oh, you can also use the code for yourself. Just buy a bunch of presents for yourself, right? Because you're the most important person in your life. <laughs> so get to shopping, shop.yourdwellgist.com, claim it 25 for 25% off. And also, if you didn't know, my daily inspiration app, it's called Own Your Awesome. It's only $3.99. You can gift that too. In the app store, there's an option to gift it. Super awesome gift, daily inspiration for only $3.99. Such a win for you and whoever you send it to. All right, let's get back to the episode. So we opened the new place in Pasadena. 
And then simultaneously, I'm trying to get out of growing marijuana, but I'm still growing marijuana. And I meet this guy, Mark Weber, and we make a film together. And then that's like, is he like, oh, I'm working on this movie. And you're like, I'll help. Like, what is that then too? You're just like someone that is, if something interests you, why not? Let's do it. And so I... Him and his two best friends, Ray and Tim, would come into the ice cream shop every night and hang out with me and Mimi. And they're talking about this movie they're trying to do. And they want to do it for super cheap. They think they could do it for like 300000 blah, 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 blah. And so I decide to invest and I'm trying to. And so we're shooting the movie and all of my marijuana is being trimmed in a warehouse in Pasadena. And we get robbed for like three different ranches all the like we had moved everything to one place my husband went like all your weed plants get all the harvest for the whole year from three different ranches and we get robbed so i have to like borrow a bunch of money to finish the movie i imagine because you were using money from that and i magically finished the movie somehow and i magically get the other ice cream shop open somehow and these guys come to me like the same week that we're opening in Pasadena and they say that they're opening a vegan restaurant in Echo Park, these two Palestinian guys, and they think vegan is the next big thing they're telling me. And and I'm saying, yeah, probably. And they said, we want you to do- a- They weren't vegan. No, they own they just Millie's and Nature Well. Got it. I and- knew they knew it. So they just were like, vegan's going to be the next big thing, but you've been a vegan for- ever on and off vegan vegetarian i've never eaten meat for my whole life my whole life and so they decide to come uh to uh, invite me to come into their restaurant and they have a kiosk at the front of their restaurant and so me and my best friend here we go one year from one store to three stores that was all in the first year Uh uh-huh and so we opened at Echo Park. It just seemed like too good of an opportunity to pass up. Yeah. Echo Park was like It was this just cool starting to like become more up and coming, I think. Yeah. The third night we were open, someone was shot right in front of the restaurant and killed. And I thought, maybe we made a mistake. But turns out we did not make a mistake. These guys were didn't really know what they were doing. They were like buying croissants from Costco. Because they were cheaper than the vegan ones. And I said, you guys, we can't do this. Like, people are going to die. People like they were buying things. Panko that wasn't. That wasn't actually vegan. vegan. And so I, they were, if you want to tell us what to do, we're not going to listen to you unless you're a partner. So I ended up buying out part of the restaurant. And. But literally, I was running the restaurant already. I remember one time the server is crying about something. And I said, I'm not really your boss. I just own the ice cream shop. She said, what do you mean you're not my boss? You're the only person that's ever here. And I was like, (laughs) I realized, like, if I'm going to do this job, I should be getting paid. So the joke was I was doing the job for free. Then I paid them a bunch of money to do the job for free. (laughs) And then I... Got invited to do this location, another Sage location in Culver City. How does that mean you got invited to? Like a landlord was like, we think this is a great oh. concept. We'll give you, help you out. Blah, so blah. that was, okay. And so it wasn't, guys, you weren't like, I'm ready to expand. An opportunity came to you. An so opportunity then you're like, came to okay. I'm, and I do think one of my best 
success formulas in life is that I'm willing to say yes. Yeah. Op- not, I think people talk themselves out of opportunities that the universe or God or energy or whatever you want to name it puts in your path. And if we're willing to say yes when those opportunities come, even though it's likely stretching you, likely 100% stretching you, 100% scary, and likely you don't know how you're going to be able to do it. The saying yes is opening yourself up to the abundance that is available. Yeah. And the say, but we often talk ourselves out of a lot of people call me all the time. Can I get some coaching about blah, 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 business stuff? And I'll say, and I'll tell them my perspective, and then they'll tell me 10 reasons why they can't do it. And I say, great, you can listen to those reasons why you can't do it, or you can do it. That's the choice. That's the choice. <laughs> but we talk ourselves out of most of everything. Yeah. But so, and then sit around feeling shitty because we don't have the life that we want <laughs> or whatever yeah. opportunities, whatever, we, because you're talking yourself out of them. But you're talking, <laughs> ha, you've had these conversations where people where you're coaching them and everything you tell them, they tell you why they can't do it. And yeah, like at some point you're actually going to actually have to start taking t- steps. You have like, to it's take It's going to be hard. It's going to be scary. It's it, going to be whatever. So you either start taking the steps or you keep living in that place where you tell me those same things over and over and over again and asking every person and reading every book and reading everything, but not taking a step <laughs> to do it differently. Or people want to know exactly how it's going to turn out before they take the first yeah. step. Yeah. And how do you, like, do you think again from like your childhood that you've been able to like just jump in and be okay with not knowing how it's going to? I think it's a a lot. We can discount a a lot, but my parents sending me to all these kind of seminars and self-improvement at a young age. And like, I took seminars on abundance, on throwing your hat over the wall and learning to fly on the way down. When I was 12 and 13, I remember I took, my parents went to a seminar with the same lady that did most of their seminars that was like sex and intimacy. And I was 13 years old and she was talking about like the woman said that it's a woman's responsibility to participate in her man coming. And I'm 13 years old. I've never seen an ejaculation. I don't know what is going on. And, but that stuck with me (laughs) through life. And you might think it's silly, but if women are not as committed to having an orgasm all the time, we're not, it's not as biologically necessary for us. Right. We discount how it feels for a man to not have an orgasm. And so I remember this woman saying, do you like it when the guy, when a man takes, I'm 13, I don't have any man take out trash or do anything for me, but your husband has to go shopping with you or take out the trash or sit through dinner with his mother-in-law the least that you can do is participate in him coming two or three times a week. And that has stuck with me. Like, and that's a silly thing. And may, and both my parents have for sure discounted that spiritual teacher and no longer believe that. But I think that sending someone at that young formative age, it's like learning another language. I did lots of self-improvement, self-help, self awareness work when your brain is still really open. And that's a silly, dumb example, right. but also about being in the flow of abundance. The more you give, the more you receive. Say yes first. Uh, when in doubt, what would God do? When in doubt, what would love do? When in doubt, what would Jesus do? If you're practicing that from 11 and 12 years old, just like my kids learn Spanish so easy and I'm struggling with my Spanish, I learned at 36. So yeah. 
And that's usually the age when most of the comparisons, judgments, what should I be doing? I'm supposed to look like these people or why, what will make people like me thoughts sort of like come up. And I'm having all this training on uh, how to look at the world from a bigger perspective. So I think that that contributed. But the end result is I had to borrow money from an uncle and I bought out the two guys so that I could do the restaurant in Culver City, which was a smashing success. Took a couple of years to get off the ground. But yeah. And then we opened in, then we expanded at Echo Park. We put in a brewery. I couldn't get a regular liquor license. So we got a 75, which is a brewery license that allows you to serve liquor because I'm unstoppable. So they were like, I wanted brand consistency. So and we opened in Pasadena and now we're opening at Agora Hills and Sherman Oaks. And Is that then, two separate locations? Yes. Wow. And like, yeah, what part of you think though is like, let's do more and not, this is doing great. So like, I'm satisfied, but like, let's keep it. I mean, I'm guessing it's also the fact that the impact of like getting amazing vegan food to be more accessible to people too. To be honest, I yeah. vacillate all the time with You it. what? Va- vacillate. Vacillate, that okay. the right word? <laughs> I don't know. Like when you go back and forth. Okay. As, as a, I don't, I think that's the word, maybe I'm wrong. Uh, part of me is exhausted by all of it. Just part of you. Part of me is exhausted by regulations in California and workers' cup and blah, blah, blah. Right. So not just like living life, but all the things that have to go into like opening a new restaurant and sustaining what's not just like, oh, I get to serve amazing food to customers all the yeah, I don't the even stuff. barely get to do anything with food anymore. Right. I don't barely get to talk to employees anymore. It's all lawyers and insurance and this and that. So on that side, I'm tired and I don't feel inspired to implement procedures yeah. <laughs> so that it's more safe walking up and down the stairs so that I can get my XMOD lower so I can save $12,000 on my workers' comp insurance. And there's so much of that. But on the other hand, I, I do believe that inside of the culture of my restaurant, which is different than my father's, my father has a spiritual basis, the, cult, the culture of my restaurant is supporting the environment, farm to table, super local, supporting regenerative agriculture sources. We bought a farm. We take all the compost from the restaurant doesn't go into landfill, Amazing. goes back to the farm. We're growing a bunch of the produce for the restaurants, supporting three other small family farms that grow the majority of our produce. I employ 300 people and I'm torn. I, I, my best friend that I started this business with passed away a year ago of cancer. And when that happens, when you lose the love of your life, and I don't say that in a sexual way, I got to have 14 years with a best friend that fully got me and I fully got them and that we never had to apologize to each other. We always understood where each, every time I'd apologize to her, she'd say, you never have to apologize. I know you fully and I know where your heart is at and you don't ever have to apologize to me. So when you lose that person that gets you and has you feel 100% heard and 100% understood in the world, you think, what's really important? 
Is it selling one more burrito? Or is it spending time with my children? And I, I think it's all of it. If, I, if there's not businesses out there that are committed to using their dollars for good, then what am I leaving my children? And I need to take time and spend time with my children and raise humans that are going to care enough to have my legacy of caring go forward and not, I don't care what my kids do in the doing, as long as in the being, there's love and compassion and understanding and taking every action for the whole, for the planet, for the whole community. And that's how I live my life. And all of my failures and all of my successes and the death of my best friend have led me to that what's important is to make each choice for the whole, for all of us, for the planet, for the community, for the family, and not from the I. And it's so easy to make the I decision. And so that's what I'm trying to live as an example for my kids and for my community. And so I may not always keep my restaurants. I may sell them someday and I may not always do whatever. But right now, having the restaurants, expanding the restaurants is what's supporting the whole. And I've, my lifestyle is different now than it was a couple of years ago. I take two days that I am off or I work from home. And that seems like obvious. Everybody takes two days off. But I didn't. I didn't get... Yeah, that's I didn't a transition. Build what I built by doing that. I worked 18 hours a day, with seven days a week. Kid on you. Strapped on my Breastfeeding belly. and serving people, taking care of customers. Yes. And now I spend Mondays and Tuesdays working from home and some every other Sunday. So it, restaurants are 24 7. Yeah. I'm, I got a phone call last night. Someone had an allergic reaction. An ambulance came. You're always working, but. I'm also spending quality time with my children and quality yeah. time with my family That's and it. quality time in nature. Yeah, no, it's good. Cause I was like, yeah, I was like, you're the whole and all of that was like so powerful and to hear, but like, but remembering like, yeah, well, you got to then also take care of you so that you can do that work for the whole and make because choices. Because you are a cell in the body. And if there's a cancerous cell in the body, it can reproduce and be but you have to be a healthy cell. And so in order for you to make choices for the whole, you have to also take care of yourself. And it's so easy. There's the workaholic version of me, um, which is most days I'm the workaholic version of me, but I also have learned to take care of myself and spend more time with my family. And even just resting, like the concept of resting was <laughs> new to me. I used to call my midwife and be like, I just don't understand how people do it. Be pregnant and work 80 or 90 hours a week. I just, it's really hard. And she'd be like, people don't work 90 <laughs> hours a week while they're eight months pregnant. And I'd be like, well, I mean, how do the people that do do it do it? Because I need help. And she'd be like, they don't. <laughs> The help would be get in your bed, lay down, get horizontal. She'd just always tell me like, drink it's some not water. not that hard, lay down. 
She's like, drink some water, take a bath, and lay down. And I would get mad at her. I'd say, please don't. I'm ca- I'd call her and I'd say, I'm going to tell you, like, please don't tell me to lay down or drink some water. I don't want to hear any or take laying. a bath. <laughs> but really, like, yes, that's it. <laughs> take a bath, lay down, drink some water. You're eight months. Yeah, like, you're, people are calling you to get coached on how to like do things. You really need to be coached on how to not do <laughs> You know how we all have the stuff we guilt ourselves in our mind for? Resting, like you don't I feel, feel so guilty. Where do the you think other, that comes from? I have no idea. The, <laughs> my self worth. I somehow tied my self worth to. I think Doing. getting the recording studio really young, and people were like super impressed. And even though it failed, it was impressive that I pulled the doing the like, doing the pulling something from idea into existence, like something massive like that, a huge you know six thousand yeah. square foot building in North Hollywood. Like you pull that from idea into existence yeah especially that young but even at any age but i got a lot of acknowledgement for the creating and so a lot of my self-worth is my ability to take stuff from thought idea into shape form and experience and when i feel like i'm not doing that that i'm like wasting my time and i've gotten much better since mimi's passing but even recently i had a little bit of feet swelling and it was a Monday and I usually work from home on a Monday and there was someone here watching the kids and I laid down and was just like watched a show in the middle of the daytime and I was like I was like I feel so guilty (laughs) like and my husband's like, you're not like doing drugs. You're not cheating. You're not. What are you? What What are you feeling guilty for? You laid down. And the, I said, there's so much to be doing. He's like, it's a hundred degrees outside. You're eight months pregnant. It's okay. You're good. Just lay down for a second. Yeah, and that's what I feel. That like, our. I even had this thought yesterday, which I was gonna like write on Instagram. Was like, what's, like, what's more important, like what you do or how you feel about what you're doing or something like that. Whereas a lot of times I feel like, you know, it's like, oh, like I'm going to eat this, you know, especially people are so concerned about what they eat and then like they eat some like I'm being bad or whatever, like let me eat this. But then they feel shitty at like, oh, I'm so guilty. I can't believe I did that. Or like, I'm going to watch this trashy show. But then if they like feel guilty because they did that, then like, like what? Like, yeah, your feelings about it, like the guilt is like taking away from the actual you getting the benefit of the rest. (laughs) I... I think about that a lot too. And I even think about that in another way is I think that a lot of times I do what I perceive to be the right thing or the trait, what I was trained to do without a lot of feeling about it. And I realize that sometimes when I stop to think about like, how do I feel about that? Often people say like, oh, I don't want to do this or I don't want to. I don't think that much about what I don't want to do. I just do what's like best yeah, or what I perceive, my perceived version of what's uh, best. But I've been thinking a lot about what we feel about what we do recently uh, because there's been a, there's a lot of infighting between vegans and regenerative agricultural people because of the vegans are like a hard line on no death and regen ag uses grazing through. Oh. And then most people that are grazing animals are going to at some point 
harvest the animals. And because I, that's, yeah, the animal. The animal's helping sequester carbon. And I've been thinking about it's, it's a, both are, both sides are fighting from an emotional, like, regen ag. People are like, this is the answer. Like, they believe, the, and yeah. they believe this is the answer to climate change. And the vegans believe this is, they also believe that maybe this is the answer to climate change, but they also believe that I don't want to hurt anybody. Yeah. And they both are in a very, a feeling place. And neither one of them is being very logical because it's obvious that if we were only going to have grass fed, you know, beef or whatever, you would have to, much less people would need to eat meat. So you'd need vegans. And if you were only, and if we're going to sequester carbon and change the environment, we need to do more than just drink soy milk and drive a Prius. And so we should be part in partnership, but it's so much about how we feel about right. what we're doing and not necessarily logic based. So I've been thinking a lot about like how, how you feel about what you're doing is as important as what you're doing. Because if well, you feel that it's the right thing, sometimes you can't see anything. Right. And that's what, in those sort of things too, I feel like, you know, they're so stuck in like judgment. I'm right and I'm wrong. Or is even if they like, I can't even allow myself to think about what you're saying as being an option because I believe strongly this. And so if I start to believe that, then that means that I might be wrong about that. Like, it's like such a right wrong. And then that makes the judgment thing that's like, they don't even allow, like, can't even go there can't even so, go there i'm right and you're wrong and that is but there's so much of that in so much of the world right now with immigration with the trump thing with like everything and the thing is is that if we can start to have compassion for how other people feel about what they're doing it doesn't mean that we have to change what we're doing yep I sit on the board of kiss the ground. I don't eat meat. Like it doesn't, I don't have to eat meat because I believe there's that grazing animals can help sequester carbon, you know? Yeah. It's, it's really, and. And that's, yeah. Yeah. It's those people that have such a hard opinion about something, even if they believe strongly, like even like religious beliefs, you believe something so strongly that you're making everybody else wrong, then nobody can hear you. Yeah. Like, I don't want to listen to a vegan that's going to tell me all the, like, evil things that are like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I need to hear it from an open perspective. And, and you'll stuff. just dig into your position. Yeah. But if somebody's coming at me, well, like, this is the only right way, I can't hear them. I, the, <laughs> I know. That's the same thing. And But I've been practicing, and not just with that, we, lo- we moved here to the country, and people have a lot of opinions about uh, immigration and my husband was undocumented when we got married and I've been ha- really practicing like listening with an open mind mm. and listening to whatever their wound was what their co- conversation is and what I've noticed is a lot of the wound is like I wouldn't say middle-aged but like older than middle-aged white men feeling like they're not as useful as they once felt like they were. And somehow immigration, and I don't actually think that it's the immigrants that are having that. I think it's like advances in technology and jobs being lost to robots and computers and everything. But you can't right. put your anger on a computer. And right. so I've been trying to hear it's, people's upset instead of just being like, oh, that neighbor came over and was really rude about yeah. my husband. I hate him now. And we're going to, I've been yeah. trying to listen to people and I think it's people not feeling important or valuable or like that they have something to contribute. And we all want to have something to contribute. And I think that 
is the fundamental, and that sounds so crazy, like why did Trump get elected? Because people felt like they don't have something to contribute. And he validated some older version of life that they want to get back to where they had something to contribute. Yeah. And that sounds silly, probably, but that's what uh, I, I from get moving that. to the country. But even and then and you hearing that too, that brings me back to like how you're saying so many people, like you know, the vegans being stuck because of what they're feeling. Maybe people are feeling too much. But we're I was just hearing that too is like what often we are not tied into what we're feeling. We just this is my stance. But if like how you were able to see that for those people, they're likely feeling this. But we a lot of times people don't stop and think about what am I feeling. Whereas I'll feel like, oh my gosh, that person made me feel shittier. They made me feel smaller. They made me feel like this. But like, they didn't do that. It's me feeling I'm not enough. Or it's me feeling I'm not heard. It's me feeling like this. Or some it's old my feelings that got triggered. That I am now very tuned into what am I feeling so then I can work through it. Right. But so often we get triggered by something or some person, some way something's being doing. And so then we just like go act or, you know, this. I'm about this and that. But we're not... What am I feeling? Oh, it's that's not from that person. Like that yeah. record. And, and and anything. I'm an organic farmer. I went to a different farm this morning. They're not organic. And it's like I can see their perspective. She's her great grandfather started this farm. Her and her mom are running it. And I could be so mad that they're spraying glyphosate, or she was telling me how they only hire women pickers and she's really trying to support women in agriculture and create an environment. I mean, not only they have men that work there too, but trying to create an environment yeah. with no sexual harassment, which is a big issue in farm workers and even worse things than sexual harassment because people are in orchards in secluded places with nobody watching. Oh and this is a whole big issue. And so like, to me, I want to see her as my partner. Like she's spraying glyphosate's fine, but she, I don't love that, but I love that she's championing women and that's the soapbox that she's standing on and that's what she's committed to. And so she's my partner in making the world a better place in the way that she can. And and then, maybe eventually she will, will drop maybe, that. But if I just went in there and was like, well, I don't even know why you're spraying rights, blah, 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 there would be no opening for us to be friends. But now we can be. I'm a woman farmer. She's a woman farmer. And we can be friends and we can learn from each other. Yeah, and you're relating of, from each other from a different place. Instead of seeing how we're different, we can see how we're the same. Love it. Okay, I'm going to go to picking which keychain you feel is the reminder you most like want to see in your life right now. So fucking grateful. Yeah. <laughs> and why is that? I just... You talked about manifesting and not in a, but I mean, sometimes I think about my life and there's been lots of failures and lots of successes, but, and lots of sadness, but I can't believe this is my life. I have an organic ranch. I have two beautiful children with a third one on the way. I have the most amazing husband that was completely unforeseen. I got pregnant on a one night stand and married him <laughs> and we created love later. And so I tell people all the time, like, oh, I want to have children. I can't find the right one. So just marry one and make him the right one. <laughs> be You be the right one for someone else. Like, don't wait for someone to be the right one for you. Um, but I have an extraordinary love relationship. I have an extraordinary business. I have an awesome farm. I have amazing children. I have community all different places. I have community. I've created 
and not like I created, but I've been open to having community with different people of all different ages. And I have the most awesome neighbors here out in the middle of the country. And I have the most awesome employees in the city. And I just have to remind myself every day how grateful I am and how great my life is because it's so easy to get caught up in this person is suing me for this or this employee fell and now we have a workers comp this like or every day there's so, every day so there's many so things many things coming up. up and it's easy to just be wrapped up in the next phone call the next conference call the next set of building plans the next recipe the this recipe is not working anymore we need to update it and instead of like step back yeah. look up Take your head out of your phone and look up at the whole picture and see how extraordinary. And you know, the thing is, I remember being super broke, just lost the recording studio, was losing my house, and I was sitting on Ventura Boulevard drinking coffee with Ryland and Connor, two of my brother and my other brother from another mother. And I remember we were just complaining, like we lost the recording studio and da 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 and I said, but what would we be doing right now if we had the recording studio still and we weren't losing our house or having to sell our house to pay off our debts? And, and we all agreed that we'd be sitting there drinking coffee, eating a pastry, enjoying each other's company. And so there's always so much to be grateful for, even in tragedy. And I lost my best friend and I have practiced being grateful for the 14 years that I had every time the grief comes. And the grief comes and keeps coming, but I'm so grateful for the contribution she was to my life. And I'm so grateful that the universe or God or energy or whatever chose me to be in her world and be with her. And I was there when she took her last breath. And I'm, I'm so lucky for that. And I'm not lucky that I lost my best friend. I'm lucky that I had a best friend. Lots of people will go through their whole life and not have that, that kind, level yeah. of intimacy and trust. And I may not have it again, but that's okay because I got to experience something so special and so extraordinary. We used to work together all day long and we'd get in the car to drive home. <laughs> And we would then call each other and talk on the way home. That's like, ridiculous. What could we possibly have to talk about? <laughs> I can barely want to answer the phone when I'm driving home right now because I just don't want more stuff to deal with. But <laughs> like, that's how much we love each other. Yeah. I love that. So what's something that you do to raise your joy levels? Maybe when you're not in a great mood and you are got to go do something or have a meeting or whatever you want to be like on in some way or just you're not feeling great and you want to be in a better mood. Like I'm big believer of when in doubt give mm. that in being a contribution to someone else, you can't be a victim that those two things can't exist and maybe not just victim, but you can't be upset Yeah, when you are doing something. Yeah. And I've always been a really giving person or I was raised in the more you give, the more you receive. But at some point I realized that I was giving with a little bit of a expectation or something. Yeah. 
And so my newest practice has been giving for something that has no benefit to me by giving and that little to no people know about it. Oh. Because then there's the expectation or the looking good or maybe just the, mm-hmm. the people knowing like, oh my God, do you know what I'm going to do? And that that is the, what I'm getting is yeah. the looking good in the moment. And so I'm always a believer of contribution and whatever, whatever it is, buy a meal for a homeless guy under the bridge on your way to the meeting, like do something small yeah. and being a contribution when you're feeling down because- when you're being a contribution to somebody else, it's very hard to be upset. Yeah. I sometimes will do that. Like if I'm feeling not enough or I don't know, if I'm feeling not great, sometimes, yeah, just me sending a like, hey, I love you message to someone else makes me feel better. Exactly. Sometimes I want to talk to somebody and be like, oh, I will need to be loved. But actually, a lot of times just me feeling like, oh, somebody else might be feeling like I'm feeling like, let me send them a love note. Like, yeah, it's like, Miracle. <laughs> How can I be a contribution? <laughs> and yeah, it's as simple as that. Sending a text message. I was thinking about you. I was really impressed with that thing that you did. Like whatever. Yeah. And acknowledging, acknowledging someone else. Yep. Giving. So yeah, I'm a big believer is like when you don't know what to do, give. Yeah. And that doesn't mean giving financially. Exactly. That's why I was like bringing up the and comment. People always uh, are saying like when it, the more you give, the more you receive. The people are like, well, if you don't have anything to give, you don't. But it could be like as silly. You could clean your friends if you really want a new car and you're trying to manifest a new car. Clean your friend's car. You know what I mean? It doesn't have to be a money thing. It doesn't. Yeah. It's just about giving. Yeah, being of service, being in community, being for the whole. Um, I like to ask everybody the statement of what is easiest for you is not always what is best for you. Can you see where to apply that in your own life? Like, I see where to apply it in your life. What is easiest for you is to keep doing everything. What is best is to lay down. No, I'm just <laughs> <Lay down. laughs> Yeah, doing is what's easiest for me. And practicing better being practices is what's uh, best for me. And what does being practices like look like to you? Being quiet with my kids, just... Like playing, being in that one being moment. In the one moment. Yeah. Now, how many times, and maybe not other people, but have I, my kid, it says mommy four times before I respond because I'm on my phone or I'm on my email or I'm whatever, but just being present with them. Yeah. The first time they say not mommy, not the fourth time they yep. say mommy. <laughs> or with my husband, just being present. Looking him in the eyes, telling him I love you, appreciating him, being grateful for all that he provides. And it's so easy f- to fall asleep to the to that part of life and just do, 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 do. Oh, let's do this. Go, go out to dinner. Let's go. To and you never regret taking time to share love. Good point. Yeah. I have to say before this ends that you to me have always been the epitome of what's that phrase they say like need something done give it to the busiest person in the room <laughs> yeah like that's people tell like, me that a lot like yeah that would be molly <laughs> so i'm glad that you're focusing on the being <laughs> yeah sometimes i can even be a little not nice to other people because people be like Oh, could you really come to Santa Monica? Culver City is really hard for me to drive all the way here. 
and I'm like, so sorry, you have to drive three miles for your organic local vegan <laughs> restaurant. I live at a farm 60 miles away and drive every day. But, uh, but sometimes I get a little bit snooty with people, but I have to appreciate where people are at and what they're going on. <laughs> but yeah, I do think there's something about if someone's already in the rhythm of getting stuff done, they're they're good at getting stuff done. Yeah. And I get so, that, which I'm in when I feel that when I'm more in those phases of like when I have a lot going on, then it's like, okay, then you're just like in that practice of being super productive. And then when I, there's more like space in my life, I'm like, get less done. <laughs> I think I actually have a little bit of fear. I have a little bit of fear that if I slow down too much, that I'll stop being productive. <laughs> Or that I'll be like so tired. Like if I really let myself feel the tiredness, I'd be so tired as I'd never get back up. You'll and do never. Work. Get back I know up. that's not never. true. But I, these are the crazy things I think at three in the morning with insomnia from the pregnancy. Okay, the last thing, the name of the podcast is Claim It, meaning I believe that's up to us. It's like claim our worth, to claim our value, to claim our enoughness, to claim who we are and that if we're seeking it out there somewhere, we likely won't feel it if we don't feel it for ourselves first. What are you claiming for yourself? It could be like one word. It could be a thought. That's interesting. Community, family, like causing those two things in the world. Yeah. Remember yourself in those <laughs> just remember myself in those. you're part of that you need to take care of <laughs> yes rest i'm claiming rest <laughs> love you wow love molly for more things that we talk about you can Find all the notes and links at yourdoyologist.com slash podcast, and you'll find all the episodes there. There's also a link right in this um, little thing you can pull up on your phone wherever you're listening to it. For more on Molly, go to sageveganbistro.com on Instagram. The restaurant is at The Kind Sage. Molly is at Chef Molly. For all things me, yourdoyologist.com. You can find me at your dwell just on social media. And we would love to know what you think of the episode. Please subscribe, rate, leave a review, share on social media, tag us, DM us. We love hearing from you. And send your review in, screenshot it, and email it to podcast at yourjoyologist.com. And each week I pick someone to send a box full of goodies for my product line. You know, like I have the keychains, mugs, notepads, wine glasses, magnets. I even have Christmas ornaments right now. So send in a review, check out my shop, check out my app called Own Your Awesome. And remember, you'll get 25% off all products in the store with code CLAIMIT25. So go get yourself some goodies and spread some holiday cheer and joy with all your loved ones. And as a final thought, think about what is easiest for me is not always what is best for me. Where can you see that in your own life right now?